0: You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered about darkness, about good and evil, whether good needs evil to exist or the duality of man? Well, if you're looking for a podcast with all the answers about dualism and materialism that's going to help you better understand your faith, then you've come exactly to the wrong place. But if you're looking for a show that's going to ask questions, struggle with differing opinions of smart theologians who've looked at this for thousands of years and leave you completely clueless, then this is the show for you. This is a show designed to give you more questions than answers. I am Joshua Knoll, and I'm just a dummy who loves God and theology, and I hope to show my love for God by studying and thinking deeply about topics that people smarter than me have been thinking about for thousands of years. I told you we were starting with the Bible, we're not doing an exegesis, we're not studying the Bible, I'm just going through and as words make me think of different theological concepts I want to talk about, we're talking about it. So we started with Genesis 1-1, we talked about in the beginning what time is, we talked about God, whether who or what God is, we talked about the heavens, we talked about what it means to create, why did God create? Now we're in Genesis 1-2 and we see that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was darkness, darkness. And God was hovering over the oceans. There was darkness. There was nothingness, emptiness. We talked about whether nothing could exist or not last time. This time we're going to talk about what is this darkness? Did God need darkness? Is there have to be light and dark? If you watch the Supernatural series, I just, I'm a big fan of the show. God had a sister. The sister was darkness and he enslaved the darkness because, you know, God had to beat darkness. And all throughout Christianity, all throughout world religions, all throughout human history, Even some of my favorite theologians have struggled with this idea of whether dualism is necessary, whether it should be part of our religion, whether it defines man. Is man just body and spirit? Are we dualist in our own existence? So before God creates anything, there's darkness. Does that mean God did not create darkness? Is it because darkness and God are equals? Some people believe to understand light. Or for light to exist at all, there has to be darkness. Oftentimes, light and dark are viewed as two sides of the same coin. Um, A lot of religions, they don't do this, oh, there's good and evil. It's more there's light and dark. And, you know, there's masculine and feminine. There's moon, sun. Not One's not evil. One's not good. They're just yin-yang, two different things. And it creates balance in our universe. A lot of, like, what you see in Star Wars, the whole balance of the force, that comes from these kind of more Eastern-thinking religions. But – in Genesis 1-2, there is darkness, there is God. At the same time, God didn't create the darkness. It, or if he did, it doesn't say so. A lot of people are going to point to Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, if that's first, he created darkness when he did that. No problem. But if that's not first, then earth and darkness existed before God created, which is where, if you go back to our last episode, I talk about some people interpret it when God created the heaven and the earth, there was darkness, there was earth. If that word win is there, then that means darkness and earth were already there. If it's not there, it seems like the story is suggesting that darkness and earth already existed. Also, both of those kind of rely on a literal interpretation. If you're not literally interpreting this, hey, it's symbolic. Don't worry about it. A lot of different ways to read this. A lot of different ways to think about the fact that God and darkness are here in Genesis 1-2. Darkness also isn't being portrayed as evil in Genesis 1-2. It's also important to note, you know, God created the day there was day there was night it's a good thing god saw that and thought it was good so darkness isn't evil in genesis 1 2 which goes a lot goes really well with a lot of our yin yang eastern religious thoughts that we're going to look at of darkness isn't evil there's light there's dark there's male there's female you know moon sun water earth dualism the earth has long struggled with and thought about dualism in this kind of way right um there's the sense of the material and the spiritual dualist there's this like how we think about the Doctrine of Man. Is it are we body and soul, or are we body, soul, and spirit? That's another argument that we're gonna get into. Today we're gonna to mostly focus on dualism as a cosmological like belief. Light and dark have to exist. We're gonna look at the dualism of mind and body, or soul and body, spirit and body, whatever you want to call it. And we're gonna discuss monism, that every that there's just one thing that's it. So dualism is largely considered heresy. Just going to throw that out there. We're going to start with that. The idea that light and darker equals all that is largely considered heresy by the church, by almost every Christian tradition. It was popular for a time, though, in the early church, and is kind of starting to get more popular with a lot of modern scholars and stuff as well today. But for most of church history, heresy, period, dot, end of story. There are several different types of dualism, though, that the church has dealt with, that we've addressed in our past. So we're going to focus on a couple of those. Mostly we're going to focus on absolute dualism and mitigated dualism and what the difference of those are. So absolute dualism teaches that there is both a good deity and evil ones, right? So some Christians have held that there's this being of evil, the demerge, and others who think of God and Satan, so there's either this like the this darkness, whatever, and dualism, God and that thing. Or there's God and Satan, dualism. They're two equal entities. Um, a lot of our Gnostics, if you're talking about Gnosticism, people talk about that. That's largely this kind of stuff, if you ever hear that term thrown out there. Um, again, we think of Eastern religions. They believe in more traditional, like good and evil. Isn't It's not good and evil. It's light and dark, yin and yang. Um, C.S. Lewis's argument for God against dualism I love C.S. Lewis. Y'all know I love C.S. Lewis. But when C.S. Lewis talks about, oh, dualism doesn't make sense because if we're going to say there's good and bad, then we're saying that bad is bad compared to good. But that's not what the dualist is arguing. The dualist does not argue there's good and bad. The dualist argues that light and dark are both good. But that does get into, if we're going to go back to Lewis's arguments, it gets into, well, then how do we know what's good and what's bad? There does still seem to be this distinct thing in people of good and bad, And dualism doesn't actually answer that because it says that all things are good. But we know that there are some things we do not consider good. So I don't like Lewis's argument of, oh, see, dualism doesn't make sense because we say some things are bad. And if they're bad, then those that side is obviously worse than the good side. But that's good and bad is not what dualism is about. So Lewis's argument actually isn't addressing what dualism really is kind of a bad faith argument, I think, probably from ignorance. I love C.S. Lewis, but just kind of how I view that. Um, But His overarching argument, because his argument against dualism comes from mere Christianity, his overarching argument that all humans have a sense of what is good still stands true, especially in the face of dualism where all is good. So his argument against dualism is wrong, but his overall argument still addresses the issue that I think we need to address when we're thinking about dualism. Um, Going to mitigated dualism, So we're talking about absolute dualism is there's this good and evil entity. Mitigated dualism is this belief that there's the material and spiritual. So there's flesh here. And then I have a soul, right? There is rock outside and some kind of spiritual thing about that rock. Those kind of things. Um, God is completely transcendent in this view. God is not in creation. He's not in us. He is not part of the physical world. He is only part of the spiritual world. That's mitigated dualism. Also, again, largely treated as heresy because if God cannot be in us, if God, if the material and spiritual have to be separate – then Jesus' death could not be what we say it is because Jesus, God had to die and come back. That is a sacrifice that had to happen for atonement to make sense. Of course, that depends on what kind of atonement view you have. Last episode, I did a crossover systematic ecology talked about different atonement theories, but for most of our views of atonement, we need God to be God when he makes that sacrifice. Jesus needs to be God. For that sacrifice to amount for what we want it to amount for, what we believe it does. So we can't fully separate the physical and the spiritual like mitigated dualism does. And also explain most views of atonement when we think of who Jesus is. So that gets to our absolute mitigated dualism. That is the like cosmological dualism. We're talking about that stuff. Switching gears a little bit to the mind body dualism that gets talked about. It's a whole other thing altogether. This belief is more about man than it is about God and the cosmos or anything like that. This is the belief that man is made up of physical and spiritual. Um, The belief was made popular by Aristotle. Not made popular through Christian ideas, but Christians largely took up the idea. Um, And it's that the mind is a part of us that's separate from our bodies or our brain, right? Separate from my brain, my mind has this thing. So there's a lot of things that my brain, like, like my instincts, all this stuff might lead me to believe. That can't easily be explained by things of the brain or things of the body. Um, So, a lot of Christians are going to hold a similar view to that today, even that there's this mind and body or soul and body. But there's also going to be this uh, tripartite, I don't know. There's also this trichotomy. That view that people hold of man, of there being a mind, a body, and a soul. That there are all three of these things. So that's a little bit of a disagreement that you'll see in dichotomy trichotomy. Most people fall in the dichotomy belief these days. I prefer trichotomy. I'm a weirdo. You know, check out systematic ecology. I'm known as Josh with the wrong opinions. It's probably one of them. It's fine. It's whatever. There are many arguments for and against when we're talking about the mind-body dualism view. Um, Largely when we view things like brain damage. We see that brain damage impacts what we think of as the mind. So we can't really fully separate the body and mind. I mean, if you think about it in that way. Um, Another other implications of this um, where we see a lot of disagreements in the church, there are periods where certain traditions taught that the body itself was evil. Our physical body, our flesh is evil and that our mind and soul is good. So we need to deny our body for our soul's sake. You know, some Christians were taught to fight against their own body's desires kind of stuff. Um, more recently, there's been a lot written and view, kind of in favor of our bodies and souls being one of the embodied spirit. So again, to Greg Allison, I know I've got to plug a lot of his stuff, but he writes some pretty good stuff on this. The Embodied Christ, I think, is one that everyone should check out. Great book. Okay, finally, we're talking about monism. A lot of Christians, especially those who hold to a form of panentheism, that God is in all things, you know, God was in Jesus, God is in the rock, God is in us. Um, Not that God is those things, but he's in those things. They're going to claim that no form of dualism can exist, that God and creation are one in that way. Not that they're completely the same, that God is creation, but God is in creation. Um, Although pantheists believe that God and creation are the same. Different than panentheism, that in is God is in things. So panentheism and pantheism, two different things. But both actually would hold that dualism can't exist. If God is everything, there's no dualism. If God is in everything, we can't see there's this dualism either. So these views are under the umbrella that would be known as monism. So that's not to be confused with monotheism, that there is one God. A lot of people who do believe in some kind of dualism still think there's only one God, especially if we're talking about like mitigated dualism, right? So – The Catholic Church has made clear that all forms of dualism other than the mind-body dualism is a form of heresy. And that was made clear from the Catholic Church by the 13th century. And it's kind of just been played out into a lot of our Protestant churches. Sometimes in your more mystic traditions, your Orthodox traditions, you'll see a little bit of divergence from this. For the most part, things of the cosmological dualism is just, we can't go there. Things of, you know, mind-body dualism, iffy. Monism typically is where most of the church wants you to be. Whether that's true or not, who knows, but that's just, you know, when we look at the history, that's what we're going to see. Speaking of the history, so when we go to church history, we look at Bible verses on darkness, and we see that darkness is also seen as beautiful. You see some verses that kind of almost hint at a form of dualism, not mitigated or absolute. It's almost like more abstract than that. So look at Psalm 74, 16. The psalmist writes, yours is the day, talking to God, yours is the day, yours also is the night. You have prepared the light and the sun. So God made the day and the night, the light and the dark. Isaiah 57, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. So God is speaking here saying, I created the light. I created the darkness. I cause well-being for people and I cause chaos to happen. It's crazy because, you know, the Bible also says God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. Really brings that inerrancy stuff up into questions. Why I'm like more of a soft inerrancy kind of guy, but I, I, I see here going, "Wait a minute, God created disaster. The God of order. We'll talk about that. We'll get to that in the next episode. Actually, when we talk about can the God of order create chaos, and we'll even talk about surfing in the next episode. And Pastor Will will join us, who is a Lutheran pastor who loves surfing. So will, it'll be a fun time. Another verse I want to look at real quick: First Kings eight and twelve. Solomon says, "The Lord said." That he would dwell in the thick darkness. A lot of Bible verses all throughout talk about darkness in a beautiful way in light that God loves the dark. Yes, there are verses that people throw out of, oh, only bad things happen at dark, or oh, you should stay inside at night, or you know, whatever. Those exist. But also these verses of dark being beautiful, of God creating both day and night, of this kind of God creating the dualism that we see around us, those verses also exist. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You got to hold both of those and make sense of them for yourself. I'm just a dummy. I can't make sense of it for you. I just want to point out that these things are there. All right. Then we're going to get past some of those Bible verses, not past them, but we're just going to go through some more history. Looking at the apostles, they were already fighting against one, a form of dualism that emerged in the early church. We talked about it before Gnosticism. So Gnostic dualism existed during the writing of a lot of our new Testament and the apostles address it. Gnosticism taught that our bodies were evil And creation was made from an evil entity that was holding the spark of light from God or goodness. In this belief, our goal is kind of more to have our mind and soul overcome our bodies, that our souls will ascend, our mind will ascend the material. This was declared a heresy for many, many reasons. (laughs) Um, Chiefly, Christ could not raise himself from the dead unless he had control over the physical. Not transcend it, but control it, command over it. Um, sin is taught to be a departure from God. So, if it's so, if evil is equal to God and contains Him, then sin is no longer departing from how things should be, but rather conforming to it or a different side of it. So, we're going to say that sin is departing from relationship with God. Then we can't have this dualism view because God and evil are equals. So it's not really departing from anything natural. Um, this view also makes Material, eternal, because only God can raise souls and lift us into eternity. So if, if we're going to say that material and soul, spiritual are two different equal entities, then the spiritual God could not create the material, especially if we're going to say material is evil. We can't say that came from God who is good. It Just doesn't make sense. This view, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's antithetical to the Bible antithetical to the church's view of salvation, most views of atonement. It just doesn't work. So Gnostic, Gnostic dualism, Ikes, yuck, bad. Um, a little bit further, Manichaeism, I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I know that. I said I was a dummy at the beginning of the episode, so just don't hold me, just don't hold this against me. Um, I'm just going to say manic, because <laughs> I'm not going to try to say the whole word, but it's the the next dualist belief I'm going to look at. It. And, um, and it's the next one the church considered to be a heresy again. Surprisingly, it came from Gnosticism. It um, have borrowed heavily from other religions, though, like Buddhism, Zoroat. Zuru- I don't know. am going to try to say it. Um, today's not my day, guys. This was the belief that our souls are part of God and have fallen to the world. So our souls are God, just parts of him that fell down to the earth. Um, and <laughs> this belief taught that if we learn who we really are, We found ourselves that we would transcend the evil material world into the presence of God and become one with him again. Um, So this view allowed for the power of God better than Gnosticism did because God's still over us. There's still parts of us that God is reaching out towards. Um, It didn't constrain him to evil the way that Gnosticism did when we think about Jesus. Um, But it does claim that we can save ourselves, that I can just realize who I am and that will save me. And that negates the purpose of Jesus. Jesus didn't need atonement atone for anything. There's no point in Jesus in this scene. So again, if you're going to rule out Jesus being necessary, the church is going to have to look at that and go, yeah, this isn't Christianity more. This is more just self-help, spiritual self-help. So that's not Christianity. So we call that a heresy. Move forward. Because again, if you can just save yourself, there was no point in Jesus. There's no point for our religion or what we do. That's. Completely valid point. That's something that we can argue about. But at that point, we're no longer arguing as Christians and other Christians who believe different. We're arguing as Christians and non-Christians. So a lot of these different views of dualism, alongside some others, still impacted and changed church thought. So I'm not just talking about this, oh, this fun history of things that people believe that we don't anymore. It did impact the church. Um, Thinking through these ideas and rejecting them is how the church came to be more supportive of teachings around that mind-body dualism that Aristotle taught. We're looking about these things and we're saying, no, that doesn't make sense. But some of this dualism stuff still seems to have some kind of rhythm to truth. And that's where a lot of the church came in line with that mind-body dualism that Aristotle taught. Um, not looking at a Christian X, next, next we're gonna look at Immanuel Kant. He believed in that same kind of mind-body dualism that Aristotle taught, claiming that there are kinds of there's like different kinds of things that we have instincts to do much like the animals, but then there are things that humans can transcend that kind of thought into something else. Like there's something different than just instincts and survival that our minds are doing. Um, Kant taught that there are differences in the thoughts that we have caused by our desires and the thoughts of just pure liberty, occasionally to our own detriment even, where we see that people put themselves in harm's way for liberty's sake, not for anything that would help survival. And when that's happening, you're going against the survival instinct To him, that was proof of something more going on in the human than just brain instincts, et cetera. I mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier. I'm talking about him again. Uh, He argued, again, for this kind of distinction, this mind-body dualism almost, but he ultimately claimed that the only logical explanation is that God had to exist for our minds to exist as something separate. So if you look at how we think, if we're going to say that that just came from someone else and that came from someone else, at some point, we're either going to to say that all of our logic and thinking is just senseless and based on nothing Or we inherited the way that we think our minds from something higher than just ourselves, and that would be God. That's Lewis's large, kind of my summary of his argument. Um, Do you have a fun quote from Lewis here? Uh, He says, if minds are wholly dependent on brains, and brains are dependent on biochemistry, and biochemistry in the long run, on the meaningless flux of atoms, we cannot understand how the thought of those minds should have any more significance than the sound of the wind in the trees. I'm say there's any significance to our thought, there's got to be more than just us. There's got to be more than just random atoms bouncing around. So argument from biology says that there is no biological evidence that we have anything that we have is caused by anything other than the brain. So a lot of what we say the mind is, all the stuff is still. we can look at biology and see direct correlations brain to mind, or what we consider mind. We can account for most things the brain do, does just biologically so that's the biggest argument against this kind of mind body dualism um there's also this argument for simplicity you know for arguing against it there's argument just kind of states that there's no need to assume that there's something we can't see if we can explain everything with stuff that we do see so yeah there there are some strong evidence uh, arguments against these things that i think are really logical but emmanuel kant c.s lewis i'm not disagreeing with those guys those guys are genius Looking at the dichotomy and trichotomy of man, if we're going to say, is man just mind and body or soul and body, or is man mind, body, and soul trichotomy? You know, a lot of the Bible says worship God with all your mind, all your strength, all your heart, soul, whatever. The Bi- the Bible kind of seems to, in a couple of different places, break up man into three parts. But a lot of times we look at it goes, yeah, that's actually just two parts. So, just going to go through some important people. Clement of Alexandria or Origen are both teachers that believed in trichotomy—that there was mind, body, and soul. Um, when we look at Augustine, he popularized trichotomy, he, and it was widely accepted all the way through the Middle Ages that there was mind, body, and soul. There was my flesh, my mind—these things that I think that are are deeper than what my brain can come up with—and then my soul, which is something separate from just my thoughts, something spiritual in essence. Aquinas, he held to a form of dichotomy. Surprise, surprise. Aquinas caused something that I like and agree with to be kind of done away with or brought into a lot of question because, you know, I disagree with almost everything Aquinas does. So why wouldn't he be the one that started this new trend? Um, He held to this form of dichotomy that the soul needs the body to exist. That the, that the soul doesn't exist unless the body exists. And our bodies are what will be made perfect and rise again. So he held to this dichotomy, but his full dichotomy was also sort of monism in the sense that they are two separate things, but they can't exist without each other. They need each other. So when we raise again, both will be raised again. So kind of embodied soul kind of view. Go to our reformers. We're talking about Luther. We're talking about Calvin. They kind of made popular Aquinas' view of dichotomy. They revived it, made that the running... Big thing that most people believe is going to be dichotomy. Luther's view of two kingdoms, largely influenced by Augustine's city of God, contributed to the thoughts of duality as well as exploring implications of these views. So even getting outside the mind-body stuff, when you look at Augustine, he wrote, you know, city of God that we are really – People who belong to the city of God, who are now ambassadors to our earth here today, we don't belong here, but we're ambassadors as residents, as citizens of the city of God. We are ambassadors to where we live today. So I'm an ambassador to America as a resident of the city of God. He was an ambassador to Rome as you know, as a citizen of the city of God. Um, Luther has a very similar thing in his Two Kingdoms works, and that also kind of has this duality sense to it, even though it doesn't get labeled as such a lot of the times. Um, when we think of the Puritans, this really changed a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the thoughts in this kind of mind-body dualism stuff. Um, the Puritans taught that material and sexual desires were evil and that they needed to be overcome. Um, they believed, which by the way, a lot of Buddhists, a lot of, you know, Hindus kind of stuff believe similarly that body desire needs to be overcome so for the spiritual. And once you overcome that, you reach enlightenment. Puritans are teaching something very similar, but would never use that kind of language. Um, They believe that God would bless them in life and the next life if their desires weren't of this world. If they change their desires, not of sexuality, of physical things here, but rather of things of God, things of beyond, that that God would then bless them with their desires of the things beyond instead of things here. Um, The Bible teaches a lot about battling our flesh, you know, going against our desires, you know. self-sacrifice Bible teachers a lot in favor of those things. So it's not, this is without cause. It's not that this is without any logic. It it, it makes sense. Obviously I'm not a fan of it, but that's something that Puritan side. That's something that's been throughout all church histories. This mind, body dualism, you know, soul over body kind of treatment rather than body and soul together. So more recently we have a lot of books being published though, that are doing that. You know, I mentioned earlier the embodied living as a whole people in a fractured world by Greg Allison, check it out. Please do it. It's worth it. Also, got to look at our Catholic and Orthodox brothers. When we look at those churches, they pushed a lot against the Puritan thought. Um, they claimed that our bodies and desires were also places that God and that sex and material are meant to be. <laughs> that, that God placed these desires in us. They're meant to be there. That's why God put them there. We're meant to enjoy them but we're meant to enjoy them the way that God intended us to. So sexual desires, flesh desires aren't evil things that we need to ascend, but rather they're things that we need to appreciate and nurture the way that God intended for us to, because it's a gift he gave to us. That's a lot of the, which you hear that more and more in Protestant churches as well. But a lot of that was the pushback from the Catholic and Orthodox churches against the Puritans. And I'm thankful for it because that really helps us see where I think God's heart is in a lot of this. Again, not doing away with the Puritan stuff, not saying all that stuff is wrong. I'm just kind of I'm showing my colors here. What side I agree with more? Look at John Piper. I think he goes too far personally, but he argues very similarly in his work when he's dealing with this term that he made Christian hedonism. I hate the term. I think it's bad. But, you know, he really pushes that God wants our happiness and he's given us guidelines so that we can live the most happiness that we can to have the most joy available to us and that we need to live in God's way for our own pleasure because God wants us to have pleasure so many times God's chosen people in the Bible this is this is my pushback a lot of times we go through the Bible uh, God's chosen people the ones that God loved are sad they're distraught you know um, you look at Jeremiah he was depressed Wanted to kill himself so I'm like, I, I don't know about this. God always wants us to have pleasure. I think God wants us to have pleasure. But I think sometimes sadness and grief is also appropriate. I think that our end goal isn't pleasure, that it's a nice add-on that God gave us while we're here. But that shouldn't be our goal, should not be pleasure. It's my personal opinion. Um, you know, is light and joy always preferable to dark and sadness? I don't know. You know, when I look through the Bible, I see sometimes, so in tears you'll reap in joy, right? I, I see where it says God made the light and the darkness. Where I see where God commands people. To rip their clothes to be sad, and also to promote joy. I also see a lot of this deny the flesh. I also see a lot of this put your soul first. I see a lot of this dualism, but I also see a lot of this God wants us to enjoy stuff. But I also see a lot of this God's like sometimes be sad. Maybe man, there's so many different sides to this stuff. So many different sides to cosmological dualism. Was darkness there in the beginning? There's so many different things of like does God want us to just have pleasure? Does God want us to be sad sometimes? Do we? Deny our flesh constantly or just sometimes? I don't know. There's a lot of deep questions I don't have the answer for. But I do know that all of wherever we come out here has some pretty big implications. So whatever we believe about God being completely transcendent and separate from creation Whether we believe that God is equal to Satan, whether we believe that we are made up of little God parts that fell down to the earth. If you want to believe that humans are dualist, if we want to believe that humans are dichotomy, have a trichotomy of mind, body, and soul, like I do, cool. Um, If you believe that material is evil and separate from the spiritual, all of this stuff has a ton of implications on our other doctrines, such as doctrine of man, theology of God, view of sin, our view of election, and our view of salvation. So just going to run through these real quick. So doctrine of man, are we made up of God parts? Like if we're literally parts of God fallen down that are transcend our bodies, then that tells us a lot about who we are. Like that's some pretty big statements of man. Again, I don't think you can be Christian and hold to that view because you're putting salvation on us and not on Jesus. Atonement, I should say. Um, are we looking for our true selves to be freed? Are we made up of mind, body and soul? Like am I? Just my mind, what I can think of, and my body? Or is there some other third spiritual component to me? Or is there a spiritual and physical component and that's it? Or are we all just one? Is it monism? Like, all of these things are the same parts of me. My mind, soul, body are all the same thing, maybe? I don't know. It tells me a lot about what I believe about man and who man is. Are our bodies sinful? Are we made in God's image? Some deep implications here to think through. Going to God's character. Is God in charge, right? Right? Is if he's equal to darkness or if he's equal to Satan, is God really in charge or is he just half in charge? Satan's in charge of the other half. You know, how does that work? Is he really all powerful or things exist before him that maybe are equal in his power or more powerful than him? In which case, how can he offer salvation? Are we subject to creation? Are we souls that are just trying to fight it through the material world and ascend? Or did God give the creation to us? Because he loves us and that's part of the gift. You know, are we separated from God completely because we're in the material world and he's in the spiritual world? Or are we connected because he's in all things? Whatever we believe about these things, man, that tells us a lot about who God is. Thinking about sin. Is sin a departure from God and his plan? Or is it just switching sides to an equally valid side? Is it sinful to follow my flesh desires? Is it sinful that I want sex sometimes? Are our bodies themselves innately sinful? Is it possible to sin if God's not even in charge, really? I don't know. All these things have a lot of implication for what we believe about the doctrine of sin. Doctrine of election. Can God really have an elect if he's not the only one in charge? Or could there also be elect of darkness? Can darkness be like, oh, this is my guy. You have this. Is it like choosing teams? Who's going to get picked last? Is God and Satan, you know? Um, (laughs) Is there a duality of the elect and the non-elect? Who God chose, who he didn't choose? I don't really believe in the doctrine of election, but if you do... Wrestling with these ideas of duality are really going to impact how you think about election. Salvation is the last one I want to talk about. Are we saved by transcending this material world and I can be saved on my own? Again, that's not Christianity, but is it possible? It's still something I think we should wrestle with. Um, is salvation only for our souls at the cost of our body? When I'm saved, am I going to leave my body behind? Screw that. I don't need it anymore. Could Jesus save us if he was constrained to the material world? If he's just part of the material world, then how can he save us and our souls? Could Satan win if he's equally powerful with God? Is there a chance he wins? Do we have to put our souls over our bodies to keep our salvation? Like now that I'm saved, man, when I really want an extra piece of chocolate cake, am I going to lose my salvation? Man, I look at uh, my wife in a way and I'm like, oh man, I, is that, am I going to lose my salvation over that? Or if I, if God forbid, I look at somebody else, I'm do you lose your salvation if you're not married and you look at someone and go, they look pretty good, even if they become your wife one day. I mean, when you think of sin and God or sin and good as two different sides, how does that impact what sin is? How does that impact how you be saved Is being saved, just picking the right team? It's being saved, overcoming the material is being saved, mean that my body also needs salvation. There's a lot of implications on what it means to be saved. And that is the top the tier issue when we're talking about the church, Christianity, all that stuff. Um. Next week, I'm going to be doing a little bit more of a video, so make sure you do come back. Um, I'm going to try and show some more pictures, do some theology through art as one of those types of theology we talked about in the first episode. I want to do a little bit more of that. I'm going to change the video format and everything, so come back. Be ready for that, but for now, I'm going to give you three takeaway questions for everybody to study and ponder on your own time. I don't have any answers. Remember, I'm just a dummy. So Here's our three for this episode. How would we know if God was completely separate from creation? Or if evil was equal to God, like, how would you know if that was the case or if it wasn't the case, whatever you believe now, is there a way for you to challenge that thought? Like if you believe that God's completely separate from creation, right? If he is not related to us at all, and that we have to leave material world to become one with God, how would you know that that's true? How would you know that that's not true? If evil is equal to God, if they're, you know, God and Satan are equally in charge, what could I look to in this world that would tell me that that was the case, or tell me that that's not the case? What would things look like? Whether you're right or wrong, how how would you be able to look at that and view it, observe it? If your view on the material and the spiritual was proven wrong, how would that change your action towards others, yourself, and God? Um, so you know, let's say you believe that you are, your soul needs to overcome your body, that you have to, you know. Beat your body daily, you know, deny yourself daily kind of stuff. If that's your whole view, that you needed to deny your body's desires like the Puritans to put God's desires, spiritual desires first. If that's how you're viewing that duality of man, and it was proven wrong, that that's not the case, you didn't need to do that. How would that change your actions towards yourself, what you allowed yourself to enjoy? And how would it change your actions towards God and how you appreciated him? Now let's flip it. Let's say you're more like me. You believe that God gave you body and soul. He wants you to enjoy the things of this earth, but he also wants you to to enjoy spiritual things at the same time, that both things are important equally. Now, let me say that's proven wrong. So for those of those like me, that's proven wrong. Turns out that God does want us to just deny all pleasure here on earth, only focus on spiritual things. If it was proven wrong and that was the case, how would seeing that I have to deny myself, change my actions towards myself and towards God. Okay. Finally, if God created darkness, so whether you believe it or not for this question, assume that God created darkness and that's true, then how do you find beauty in the dark? If God created night, if he created darkness, if he created sadness, even, you know, let's, let's pretend yin yang for a second. If God created the yang, how do you find beauty in it? So here's our three questions. Again, just recap. How would we know if God was completely separate from creation or if evil was equal to God? Question number one. Question number two. If your view on the material and the spiritual duality is proven wrong, how would that change your actions towards yourself and towards God? Question three. If God created darkness, how do you find beauty in the dark? Well, guys, I hope you're just as confused as I am and that you're inspired to go and study these great theologians like C.S. Lewis, Immanuel Kant, Origen, Augustine, even Aquinas, a little bit better, um, more deeply on this topic. Look at what they're saying. Go through all of this and then go forward in your own faith journeys. Um, Thank you all so much for joining this dummy on my journey to learn more about God and to love him better. I hope this has encouraged you to worship God in your own thinking and to keep on struggling. This was an Anandao Ministries podcast. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.